he has sort of embraced this like cult-like hero status. People who support him have like posted images of him depicting him as like a Roman emperor or Mel Gibson in Braveheart. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, January 11th. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Byers to talk about the war of words between billionaire Bill Ackman and business insider over plagiarism and anti-Semitism, and the curious response to the fight from business insider's parent company, Axel Springer. Dylan also explains why some former mainstream media stars like Don Lemon are now taking their talents to Twitter. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. It's an especially happy Thursday. If you are a college football fan, of any program other than Alabama by Nick Saban, you will not be missed. I'm joined today by Dylan Byers to talk about the media. We're calling this Media Thursday this week. Dylan, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm I'm dealing with the uh, the trauma of an, of another coaching departure, which is um, my guy up in up in Seattle, dear Petey. Uh, yeah, the Seahawks lost their coach, and I'm not I'm not feeling great about it. Pete Carroll is gone, and uh, I'm I'm pouring one out tonight, Peter. Lot of lot of coaching shuffling going on in this off season. Uh, but yeah, Pete Carroll. I mean, he's feel like he's been there forever. My favorite gum smacking coach. No one chews a wad of gum <laughs> like Pete Carroll on the sidelines. Dylan, I want to talk to you about a really interesting story. There's just like a lot of threads going into it, but this is the story of Axel Springer, the owner of many uh, media properties, including Business Insider. Business Insider ran a story the other day about Mary Oxman, whose billionaire husband is Bill Ackman, and Bill Ackman was the hedge fund guy leading a crusade to oust Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, 
After her weak statements, to say the least, about anti-Semitism on campus in those congressional hearings, along with the presidents of Penn and MIT, he's obviously, for anyone listening to this podcast, familiar with his crusade on this matter. Business Insider came back with a story basically claiming that Neri Oxman, the MIT professor, his wife, had plagiarized repeatedly in her academic work, including lifting from Wikipedia repeatedly in her dissertation. That's the backstory. Ackman complained about this story and said that Business Insider uh, was being anti-Semitic, that they were agenda-driven, that this wasn't really a story, that back in the day, you know, <laughs> MIT's uh, standards for plagiarism didn't include Wikipedia. Axel Springer came back and said they're going to investigate this story and why it happened which really, really exploded heads in the journalism world and in the Business Insider newsroom. Am I right? I mean, basically, the whole thing here is that journalists and, and journalists at Business Insider are suddenly aghast at the idea that a rich guy can complain about a bad story about him and his wife, and then it will be investigated. Is that an oversimplification, or did I sum this up pretty well? No, I think that I think that's exactly right. Look, like let's take a second here and talk about who Bill Ackman is. He has two things at once. On the one hand, uh, he is a brilliant hedge fund manager, investor who who has demonstrated um, indisputable savvy uh, and a killer instinct when it comes to uh, sort of his investing career. And he's got decades, um, a, a decades long CV to back that up. At the same time, he is very proudly and very willingly like <laughs> the just sort of the most sort of like vocal and voluble critic of not just sort of, you know, elite liberal academia, but sort of more broadly like liberal institutions and I think wokeism and I think the sort of uh, anything that seems to impugn free speech and certainly anything that seems to even have a whiff of anti-Semitism in, in the wake of the October 7th attacks. And he has made himself like the mouthpiece, like the, the, the number one face of the movement of, I think, angered, wealthy individuals who feel like they're not willing to put up with the what they see as the sort of like drift of America's like liberal institutions anymore. Hmm. And in so doing, he has like he has sort of embraced this like cult like hero status. People who support him have like posted images of him depicting him as like a Roman emperor or Mel Gibson in Braveheart. And <laughs> he relishes this, right? He knows that he is just like a pit bull that has his teeth like firmly clenched around Harvard and MIT and UPenn and now Business Insider, and he loves it. And he has exhibited no sort of qualms or shame whatsoever in just going like full scorched earth against these institutions, even if, you know, I think friends and colleagues are sort of quietly saying it, it all seems a bit much. In any event, the way he has gone after Business Insider... It was so relentless and similar to not not just the way that he went after the Ivy Leagues, but also the way that sort of he's he has gone about his investing his entire life. So relentless 
that Axel and Business Insider apparently felt like that the that they had to do something and they acquiesced to his desire not only to launch an investigation into the reporting, but also to make an announcement that they were going to launch an investigation into the reporting. And this predictably, and I think understandably, led a lot of people at Business Insider to think like, what in what world do we have to sort of you know, capitulate to Bill Ackman's demands just because he's very rich and very loud and because he, you know, he knows some of the board members. Now, my understanding based off of my reporting this week uh, and the conversations I had with Axel Springer's own head of communications is that they are not going to retract the article. They're going to stand by the reporting. They are going to say like, well, you know, could we have been a little less trigger happy in our reporting? Maybe we didn't necessarily, maybe we could have given Bill Ackman and his wife, you know, a little bit more time to comment. Maybe we could have seemed a little like to have taken a little less joy in making this assertion that there was something hypocritical about Bill Ackman attacking Claudine Gay for plagiarism when his own wife had sort of made some mistakes along the way yada 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 i think the point here is that (laughs) there's already this debate which has already become sort of like annoying and tiresome in part because like these like accusations of plagiarism don't really you know they're sort of victimless crimes um Mm -hmm. we that we were probably going to see this continue to escalate and he's going to continue to go so far as to perhaps even try to like drive business insider out of business because they probably aren't going to acquiesce because at the end of the day, what they reported appears to have been largely true, even if the way in which they reported it was probably a little more chest thumpy than it needed to be. Yeah, the chest thumpy thing is is the thing that I can kind of see Ackman's angle on this. I mean, I'm thinking of Business Insider going after Dave Portnoy of, of Barstool back in 2021, um, and basically, you know, writing about his sex life, you know, which was <laughs> interesting if you want to go back and Google it. But did it rise to newsworthy? And, you know, at the time, Portnoy was saying, and, you know, I think there's probably some people who would agree with this. I mean, the Business Insider's newsroom is a New York based newsroom. Uh, chances are it's a safe bet. There's a lot of cultural progressives that work in newsrooms these days in big blue cities. Uh, And they were going after Portnoy just because they didn't like him and his point Mm -hmm. of view on the world. Uh, And Portnoy even sued them for defamation and libel and questioned the newsworthiness of it because there's, you know, it basically just pulled back the curtain on his sexual peccadilloes. And and was that newsworthy? And so I can see how, you know, Ackman could see in others that this newsroom just doesn't like Ackman because of his politics and yeah. therefore are going after him. But which is to me is that Axel Springer, like they own a bunch of news brands. They own Politico. Politico writes about powerful people all the time, probably in ways that are unflattering and that those powerful people don't like. Like why did Axel Springer feel compelled to respond to this specific complaint from Ackman um, and not, you know, one from Portnoy uh, back in the day, like, is it just because he knows members of the board? Is that it? I think, I think inevitably that's part of it. I think that they knew that he wasn't going to go away, and I think they knew he was going to be very loud. I mean, look what what the what Adib Sasani, who's the the head spokesperson, told me 
is that part of the reason for conducting a review here is because the accusations themselves were so serious. I mean, part of what Ackman is alleging is that because his wife is Israeli, that the attack on her and the you know the the suggestion of plagiarism, this and the other thing, was somehow anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist. Now, even Adib has said, you know, says that that's like so far beyond the pale that just because you're criticizing someone who happens to be who happens to have been born in Israel doesn't <laughs> automatically make it anti-Semitic. Right. Yeah, um, totally. you can. By the way, you can be Jewish. And also plagiarize. Those things yes, are not. This is, this is true. This <laughs> so is true. Those aren't necessarily distinct things. I think, honestly, what's happening here, if we're going to be honest about it, is that this is how this is how Ackman is so effective, right? He is loud, he is relentless, and he is influential. And at a certain point, when the bug keeps biting your ass, like you've got to do something about it. And he became such a, he's, you know, he's just such a pain that they're like, what, what do we need to do to make this problem go away? But again, as I say, like, unless you're going to retract the story that he appears to find so offensive, you're probably not going to make him go away. And this is sort of one of these moments where they're, I think that Axel Springer needs to show a little bit of fortitude here and just say, like, this is what we stand for. This is what we are going to do. And we're not going to let one individual run roughshod over us. The broader thing you're talking about, though, is is, I think, significant. There are two sort of contrasting theses about this. One is the view of, like, I would say a generation of digital media people embodied by sort of like first by Gawker and then by sort of business insider, it's this sort of, I don't want to call it gotcha journalism necessarily, but it is one that seems to sort of like go after certain targets and sort of like uh, with, with with the intent to kill or the, you know, or the intent to harm. And the thesis there is, look, this is a free country. These are public figures and, you know, journalists should rightly like expose everything that they can. And then there's the feeling of the people who are on the receiving end of this, whether it's like the Bill Ackmans or the Dave Portnoy's or whoever, uh, certainly like Peter Thiel, who sort of feel like you don't get to damage my reputation and then sort of like hide behind the First Amendment. Like you actually have to there has to be like integrity to your reporting and all of this thing. And so and they sort of overcompensate to the point where they don't want to be criticized at all. And they view all criticism as unfair. And they sort of have these very... I think sort of idealistic notions about what their media coverage of them should be. And it should just be sort of like always deferential and respectful and everything and never the twain shall meet. And I don't, you know, I don't know how much of what Bill Ackman's doing right now is bite versus bluster. I don't know if he would actually like try to take down business insider in the way Peter Thiel tried to take down Gawker, but it's certainly put Business Insider and Axel Springer on their heels, and it's going to be a headache for them, I think, for the foreseeable future. Dylan, I want to take a quick break and then talk to you about some new shows coming to X slash Twitter, including one from Don Lemon. Welcome back to the Powers of Be, everybody. I'm talking media with Dylan Byers. Earlier this week, Don Lemon posted on Twitter slash X that he will be launching a new show on Twitter slash X. So are a bunch of people that I guess Twitter apparently recruited for this. 
including Tulsi Gabbard, the former mercurial progressive slash libertarian slash conservative slash whatever congresswoman from Hawaii. Also Jim Rome, sports talker Jim Rome, who apparently still exists. I had forgotten about him. Dylan, what's behind this? Are they all trying to do a version of Tucker Carlson's Twitter show? Um, and also, like, are they going to be able to monetize this? Is Twitter paying them directly? Like, how is this structured? Yeah, well, look, I think you have to pull back here and, and think, okay, so so Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon got, pick your word, fired, thrown out, whatever, of their respective news organizations on the same day. Two, certainly Tucker, like the highest wattage star in cable news and at the time. And then Don Lemon, I would say... All, all things are relative. CNN's numbers aren't Fox numbers, but still like very much like a known quantity, right? And both of these guys are leaving the industry at a time when, as you and I love to talk about, the linear business is in inexorable decline. And the options that are available to a primetime TV news star are not what they once were, right? And so it's the sort of question is like, well, where do you go and what do you do? And you can launch a podcast. You could you could get a deal with Sirius XM. Um, mm. You could, <laughs> you know, I guess you could go back to like local broadcast television. But what, you know, the sort of like, I think once you've tasted the joys of like the Hamptons and the Polo Bar, like that's probably not as appealing to you as, as, <laughs> as it might once have been. And there's not, there just aren't that many great, options right at the same time as you and i both know people who have like lived their life on camera have a very hard time getting away from being on camera right and being in the public eye and being known quantities and so like weigh your options unless msnbc comes calling which obviously it didn't and maybe what took Don Lemon longer than Tucker Carlson to arrive at this point is maybe he was holding out hope that MSNBC would come calling. But unless that happens, you've, you can kind of go the route where you sort of relatively disappear dis- in terms of influence, disappear relative to what, to what you once had. Or you can go on the platform that like all of the media people are on anyway. Mm-hmm. where you are going to get paid what I have been told is a pretty significant amount of money from Elon Musk, from X, which is what Tucker Carlson is getting, what Don Lemon is getting, presumably what Jim Rome and, and Tulsi Gabbard are getting, which in Don Lemon's case is going to subsidize the already like tens of millions of dollars he's still getting paid out from CNN because he renegotiated his contract like right before he got fired from CNN. And... At a certain point, you can take whatever show you're creating, the Don Lemon show, and then you can put it on YouTube and you can put it anywhere else. And somewhere down the line, maybe you strike another media deal. Maybe you build your own media company around this if it's successful. And then it sort of becomes clear that like this actually really is the best available option for a Don Lemon type figure. And because it's X, because it's not like a traditional television network with a parent company, you know, a parent company that that's sort of like very concerned about everything he will be able and probably incentivized to be more interesting than he otherwise might have been to say things that might get him in trouble or say things that might stir the pot or or rattle some feathers and hopefully try to be like at least interesting enough to remain relevant in the news cycle while also making a not insignificant amount of money and so 
as as much as it's sort of like my god why why would someone like don lemon like get in bed with elon musk you can also sort of see how this makes logical sense given the available options yeah i don't i'm not critical of this i mean i sent this through slack the other day when don tweeted it and people were going back and forth on it and, and internally at puck and you know i you and i both know so many people you and i are two of these people who have left the hamster wheel of cable or broadcast news and once you get out of it it feels like an addict going into recovery or somebody leaving a cult it's like you have to like like it takes a long time to brush the impulses and the habits good and bad off of you and you start to come up on the other side and you're like you know and i did this in 2015 when i left cnn to join snap like there's a whole new audience out there. Um, you can go directly to the audience. You don't have the absolutely brutal schedule <laughs> of cable mm-hmm. news and like TV news. Your life can be better. And I remember thinking that too when like Harwood and Brian Stelter were asked to leave CNN under Chris Licht. I, I, I like I was like secretly I don't know if I DM'd Brian this or but I was just like dude, like you don't have to work on weekends anymore. That's pretty cool, actually. (laughs) And you can figure out something out uh, because you're you're an existing uh, brand. You have an audience out there. You can go do anything. And so, you know, like Jessica Yellen uh, has started um, an Instagram account that has a really strong following of like 650,000 followers, I think, on Instagram, where she just explains the news to her followers. And, you know, she spent a very long time at ABC and CNN my friend Moshe Wununu is doing something similar with Mo News, who has about half a million followers on Instagram. Just interviewed Tony Blinken, um, right, <laughs> on his Instagram account. Like he never did that at, at CBS. And so, yeah. you know, as the eyeballs migrate toward the web and and social media, and they have been for years and years now, I think a lot of these people, including Don, will realize it's kind of refreshing to be on the other side. You did your tour of duty in TV news. I know the perks are big and the money is big and like you said like it's nice to go to the polo bar but like he's still going to be able to do that um and he might find and will find there are lots of different people uh consuming the news in different ways out there and that can be rewarding to innovate out in the wild that's right i i I agree with all that at the same time there there we are at this really weird moment where even when the metrics on the outside like outside of 30 rock outside of hudson yards Yeah, yeah the metrics are bigger you know that at Snap, like you see it. The metrics at these cable news networks are relatively paltry by comparison. And yet there is something that is, I think, for the sort of the television animals, there is something that is so comforting to them about the institution, Mm -hmm. about the town car that takes them to the hit and the makeup (laughs) and the, the knowledge that they are coming across on like a a a global brand where there is a president or a ceo who is telling them you are doing great work and you are you are you know influencing the nation and even when you go out and you see the bigger numbers and you realize that maybe there is a business model there is still this overwhelming sense of uncertainty about whether or not you are still like in the mainstream of the conversation whether or not you are going to get like another GQ profile, right? Or whether whether it's still possible that you might wind up on the cover of Vanity Fair. I think it's really hard to like leave the legacy media beast behind if you've been steeped in it for so long. And there is this weird tension here where even as there are 
all sorts of avenues available and different eyeballs and perhaps a better lifestyle, the there's something about the game as it was played for a long time that was really addictive and was really comforting for people and was really it, it has proven hard for them to leave behind. That is most definitely true. We do like the town cars. Dylan, thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate your reporting. <laughs> Thank as you, always. Peter. All right, man. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.